At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey, today's podcast full of all kinds of stuff that's happening in the news and you really need to get uh, prepared for. One of them are these whistleblowers. Very, very credible. Will it make a difference? Also, is Donald Trump going to jail? We have Alan Dershowitz to talk about that. It's absolutely fascinating. And there's a new book that is out about uh, Jimmy Carter. Yeah, he was bad. Joe Biden is far, far worse. We talked to the author about what this means. Is there a Ronald Reagan 1980s moment that is coming? And how do we prepare for it? All that and more on today's podcast brought to you by Relief Factor. If you're in pain, get out of pain. Yeah, thanks a lot, fat hat. I know that. Well, there is an easy way that, that I got out of pain, and it is, it was amazing to me because I went everywhere, everywhere. And quite honestly, uh, a couple of places said you have inflammation and you really have to tone down the inflammation before you can touch anything else. So I was on a special diet. I, you know, didn't eat any nightshade vegetables, blah, 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 blah. Finally, I tried Relief Factor, and my pain greatly reduced. I am out of pain most days. It is really a miracle for me. Try it. 70% of the people who try it for three weeks go on to order more. Try the three-week quick start trial pack at $19.95 at relieffactor.com. That's relieffactor.com. You're listening to... The best of the Glenn Beck program. Mr. Alan Dershowitz, welcome to the program. I, I don't even know where to begin, uh, but since you wrote the, uh, the book, Get Trump, let's start with them getting Trump. What is happening? Well, before we get to get Trump, I want to just say one word of commendation about the president of Israel, Isaac Herzog, who made one of the most brilliant speeches in front of a joint session of Congress yesterday with uh, bigoted, racist um, anti-Semites like Bernie Sanders, a Jewish anti-Semite, walking out of his speech, uh, AOC walking out of his speech, uh, five or six Democrats who would come to hear Castro, who would come to hear Pol Pot, who would come to hear, you know, any, any, any dictator on the left refused to listen to the great president of Israel. I commended him as soon as his speech wow. was over. He wrote me a lovely note wow. back. Uh, so I just want your audience to know that not all not all members of Congress are decent people. Uh, these folks that wouldn't listen to uh, our closest ally uh, and who don't believe in the right of the nation state of Israel to exist as a Jewish state uh, are a shame and a scandal to America. And Herzog, who went to high school in America and whose father was the president of Israel, whose grandfather was the chief rabbi of Israel, is really just a great person. I hope people watch his speech. You can get it on 
YouTube. And now to Donald Trump. Wait, 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 wait. Before you go there, Alan, uh, before we go there, I would like to have you back on uh, on another time because I'm so packed up today. But um, I'd like to have you on another time to explain what the heck is happening with the Supreme Court over there. I don't think most people even understand and they don't know. know They don't know what the good guy and bad guy is. Well, there are no good guys and bad guys. There's just a dispute that's going on that's reasonable, very similar to the dispute in the United States when Democrats want to pack the court. I'm a real expert on that, and I've been advising the president of Israel, okay. prime minister of Israel, and others on this issue. So I would be thrilled to come back and explain okay. to the American public exactly what's at stake. Okay. Good. Okay. So let's talk about Get Trump and what is happening. Is there a chance he goes to jail on this? Yeah, sure. There's a chance he gets sentenced to prison. It would be for a lot. It would be in a long time. I mean, the worst case scenario for Trump is he gets tried just before the election. If he's tried in the District of Columbia, the reason he was so anxious to get him in the District of Columbia, he has a jury pool that voted against him 91 percent. And many judges who have already expressed views very strong against Trump. So if, if he gets to be prosecuted in the District of Columbia, even if he's totally innocent, juries in the District of Columbia will indict a ham sandwich, will convict a ham sandwich if his, if his <sighs> its name is Trump. So there is a chance he could get convicted, although the case against him, I haven't seen the indictment, but based on press reports, seems extremely stressed and, and uh, stretched and weak, as does the case in New York. The Florida case is the only one that has some legs, but that would, you know, be a minor, it'd be, you know, a paper case. Well, he mishandled some documents. Uh, so I don't think he's going to prison on Florida or New York, but he could be sentenced to prison in Washington, D.C. And then the question is, does he win the election? If he wins the election, he can't. Uh, I think the law would be clear. He has to serve his term uh, as president. And then you could have all kinds of debates about whether he should uh, go to go to prison or not. Uh, but if he loses the election and loses the trial, it's certainly possible he could end up in prison for a couple of years. That's that's within the realm of possibility. That's Let me tell you what makes it harder. He cannot get the right lawyers to defend them. Why? Because there's a mm-hmm. there's a fascist organization called uh, 65 Project, a group of radical left lawyers who have pledged to go after the bar. Uh, licenses of any lawyer who defends Trump. They're going after me. Um, I defended Trump and I defended the correct uh, approach to election machines uh, and vote counting. And they are they filed a bar complaint against me. And when you file a bar complaint against me, uh, a law professor of 50 years who never did anything wrong, the message it sends to other lawyers is don't go near Donald Trump. Don't defend him. And I got a call yesterday from a lawyer who's trying to put together a team for Donald Trump to defend him in D.C. Nobody, no good lawyer, really great lawyer is prepared to take the risk of getting disbarred. This is a fascist okay, so- approach to, uh, uh, to McCarthyism and, and the lack of due process and, and adequate representation. So how do we stop that, Alan? Because I, I know that I've had a, a great set of attorneys that I'd worked for, for work with for years that dropped me as a client because I was too controversial. And I'm like, you're free. You're my freedom of speech lawyers. What are you talking about? Uh, yeah. And how do you get a great lawyer? What do we do to is there any legal way to yes. Yes. to stop but these people? 
it's expensive. You know, they have a tremendous amount of money behind them, whether it's George Soros's money. I don't know. But they have unlimited resources. And people who are fighting for the Sixth Amendment to the Constitution, the right to counsel, the First Amendment free speech aren't funding it. Uh, we should be organizing an organization, bipartisan, nonpartisan, an organization of people who love the Constitution to go after the 65 Project and go after these uh, lawyers who are trying to prevent Donald Trump and others from, from, getting, from getting lawyers. Look, I won't be cowed. Uh, I'm too old for that. I'm going to be 85 in a month. I'm not going to be cowed by a bunch of radical left-wing lawyers. Uh, but, you know, a 45-year-old lawyer with a family to support is not going to take on Donald Trump's case if he knows he might lose his bar license. So we have to fight back. And you can start uh, organizing that campaign to fight back. We need people who love the Constitution, whether they're right, left or center, to fight back against this McCarthyite unconstitutional attack on lawyers who want to defend controversial uh, defenders. Look, I didn't vote for Donald Trump. I defended him because his impeachment was unconstitutional. Um, And I think today some of the charges against him are unconstitutional. I don't care whether he's a Democrat or Republican. I only care about the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. So, Ellen, you tell me, you find a group or you put a group together, and I'll help finance. I mean, and I think a lot of people in the audience will do the same thing. And it's you're right, it shouldn't be partisan, but it, it might end up being because it seems there's too many people that are too afraid, uh, even of their own side, to actually get involved. And it's shameful, just shameful. <laughs> Oh, there's no doubt about that. What what people on Martha's Vineyard, for example, did to my wife and my family when I defended Trump. These are people who I've helped for years. I've been living on the vineyard for 53 years. And uh, once I defended Trump, um, I was denied the right to speak in the library. I was denied the right to speak in the community center, in the book fair. Um, my wife wow. was attacked. The restaurant we go to was told, if you dare to serve the Dershowitzes, we'll never come there again. I mean, it's pure McCarthyism, McCarthyism. There's a new movie out called Oppenheimer. I haven't seen it, but I read the book. Um, And it's about what happened in the 1960s and 50s when I was a college student. We don't want to ever see a recurrence of that. We want to see the Constitution alive and well and thriving, whether you're right, left or center. So can you talk to us a little bit about what's happening with the Hunter Biden case yesterday? Yeah, um, sure. this is this is phenomenal that we have two really credible one, a Democrat whistleblowers very high up in the IRS talking about how they were obstructed on this and that even the the uh, Secret Service alerted hunter biden before and made sure that he wasn't available and then on top of that that the transition team was briefed by the doj that's what it's it's a terrible attack on our legal system look hunter biden was lucky he got a very very good lawyer abby lowell is a great lawyer and he defended him and got him a good deal i don't know if the judge is going to allow the deal to go through in light of all this uh, there has to be a special counsel appointed. Why? Because we now know that the U.S. attorney in um, Delaware, who was essentially appointed by Democrats, although he nominally was appointed by um, by Trump, uh, the recommendation came from the two Democratic senators. Um, that is not what it matters. What matters is he was told he had complete jurisdiction to follow the money and follow the crimes to the District of Columbia and to California when he tried to do it, according to 
reports he was stymied. So we have to have a special prosecutor who has universal jurisdiction, can follow the money to Ukraine, can follow the money to China. No restrictions mm-hmm. on his jurisdiction and see what the truth is. Remember, a whistleblower, I'm so proud of whistleblowers that come forward and there ought to be more. But being a whistleblower doesn't guarantee that you have complete credibility. So we have to check Correct. everything that was said yesterday. But if it turns out to be true, there's more than probable cause to appoint a special prosecutor to look in but depth do into we- this case rather than the current situation. Yeah. Can we trust a special counsel at this at this time? I mean, how many have we had? And uh, I mean, well, they just go on and on and on. And then... well, some have done good jobs. Um, uh, you know, the, the the Whitewater Council against Clinton, and then the and then Starr. Uh, they were very aggressive, and they pursued it to to impeachment, which failed. But impeachment, the right person. It's all about the right person. Archibald Cox was the right person. I could give you a list of ten people. Uh, former judges, uh, people who are Republicans. Uh, I'll give you two examples off the top of my head. Mike Mukasey, the former Attorney General of the United States under Bush, he would be a perfect special counsel. Louis Free, the former head of the FBI, uh, again, a Republican, but a moderate, a former judge, both of them former judges. They would be extraordinary. These people have great reputations, and they'll never allow their reputations to be sullied, and they will never take orders from Garland. They would never take orders from Bush. They would never take orders from anybody. They would do their job, and they could do it well. And they're at the end of their careers. They don't have to worry about whether or not they're going to get another job later. We could see real justice done if people like that were appointed to get to the bottom of this. I don't know whether it's true or not, but if it's true, it is devastating. And who appoints that special counsel? What are we waiting for? Well, the appointment comes from Garland, but there has to come with a lot of political pressure uh, from the House of Representatives, uh, from um, other people, from the public. And, and, and he, sh- he, he should make an appointment, and he should appoint somebody who is beyond reproach, somebody who everybody, the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, CNN and Fox and MS. NBC and uh, Newsmax all agree this is the guy, this is the woman, this is the person who can get to the bottom of this. Without that, so, America's faith in the legal system is diminishing. So I have to tell you, I'm listening to this podcast, I'm driving in my car, and I'm thinking, well, okay, well, that's not going to happen. I mean, I think people, yeah. they say they don't care anymore. It's not that they don't care. It's that they don't think anything's going to happen. If we are reliant on a guy who, quite honestly, Merrick Garland, who I think should, should it should at least be considered that he faces an impeachment. Um, if you expect him to, per, to uh, appoint somebody that the world is going to trust, I, I, we're living in fantasy land. Well, that may be the case. What's what's the alternative? Look, Merrick Garland could have been on the Supreme Court. Um, he, it ends up he may not be the right man for the job he has now. Um, but um, uh, but he's a man. Uh, he, he, he can't be impeached, by the way, because he hasn't committed any crimes. To be impeached, it has to be treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. Um, just having a, a maladministration or malpractice. The framers of the Constitution rejected that, so I don't agree. But lying, lying to Congress? 
Well, uh, that would be an impeachable offense, obviously, if it were perjury. Okay. Um, my, my understanding is that the allegations that he lied were mostly in media discussions. But you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he actually yeah, yeah, yeah. knowingly lied, not that he made a mistake. But put that aside. Uh, if the public pressure is enough, look, there's another alternative, and that is uh, voting for third-party candidates. We're now seeing this new uh, group emerging um, uh, called uh, No Labels with uh, um, uh, Joe mm-hmm. Lieberman and Manchin and others who are thinking about saying to the American public, look, you don't have to choose between Biden and Trump. Here's, here's the third alternative of moderate, middle, centrist people who can give you uh, a third alternative. Uh, having that a strong option puts a tremendous amount of pressure on the attorney general, on the president to do the right thing. Maybe it won't succeed, Alan, but your guy driving the car has a point. Um, you know, it's, it's unlikely. Any of these things are unlikely to happen. Alan Dershowitz, the author of Get Trump and the, uh, the uh, host of the podcast, The Dersh Show. Thank you, Alan. We'll talk again. My pleasure. Thank you. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Let me go to uh, Carol Roth. Hello, Carol. How are you? Hey, good morning, Glenn. How are you? Very good. Is your audio book available yet? Yes. In fact, I get people on Twitter yeah. listening to my audio book and saying, Glenn, where is your audio book? I don't know. You would have to ask Amazon that question. Uh, <laughs> we couldn't get our audio book up uh, for some reason. Oh, it's uh, strange, isn't it? So, well, you know, uh, I will tell you, the, well, it's, it's not it's not strange because they actually wouldn't release the people who did the early reviews for my book either. Would, 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 really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, wow. it's a big big head scratcher there. Yeah, I know that we have violated all kinds of rules by even having uh, the Great Reset on the cover of the book. That's a, a verboten uh, phrase that you're just not supposed to say, um, but it's the truth. And uh, we'll take on the World Economic Forum, but uh, they're not making it easy. Uh, if, you, if you haven't had the uh, chance to get the book Dark Future, uh, hurry uh, you can do that at uh, you can find it at at uh, glensnewbook.com. Also, Carol Roth just put her new book out, and it's "You'll Own Nothing." And I wanted to have her on today. By the way, it's a great companion book. These two go together really, really well. Um, I, I wanted to talk to you and pick it up where we were uh, the other day, and that is renting the American dream, and talking about how uh, the American dream is not a house but that's how we describe it and we describe it as such is because that is the one thing that grows wealth you know you always hear my mom and dad bought this house for you know 1965 for five thousand dollars and now it's worth a million um it is it is something that allows you to grow wealth and if you can't grow your wealth in something like that uh, then you you lose the American dream, which is to be able to chart your own course, especially if you are renting and you're not renting from a neighbor. You're renting from a corporate entity. This is just disgusting what is happening. Can you explain a little bit more? 
Yeah, so this is um, really something that the corporations coming in and competing with individuals for single-family homes, which, as you mentioned, is the largest driver of wealth on household balance sheets across the U.S., this is something that didn't happen before 2010. So after all of the ridiculous policies that came out of the Great Recession financial crisis that bailed out Wall Street and you know cost almost 6 million Americans their homes via foreclosure or short sale. They did not get a, the bailout. Um, you know, there was all of this supply in the market of really cheap homes. At the same time, the Fed decided they were going to give a gift to Wall Street, and that was going to be abundant cheap capital through their policy of artificially in, uh, suppressing interest rates and printing a lot of money. And it was to the point that what we call there were, was almost free money, <laughs> that they had had negative real interest rates, that basically the interest rates that they had on the loan were actually lower than inflation was at that point in time. So when Wall Street had access to all of this money, it started to invest in various assets and inflate those. It, for some, some reason, that never counts as real inflation um, because it benefits the, you know, the wealthy and the well-connected when those asset prices go up. And then they ran out of places on a sort of a risk-reward basis that they felt they could put the capital. So in 2010, you started getting corporations competing with individuals to buy homes. It did not meaningfully exist prior to then, to the point that we now have more than one in every five homes as of the end of last year that was purchased by a corporation. And these corporations are not looking to make them better and, and you know, get them back to you so you can have that wealth creation opportunity. They are looking to rent you the American dream. They want to take that wealth that you would have created for your family, for your legacy, and they want to transfer that to Wall Street. And so one of the things I did in the book, Glenn, you know, I, I like to let everybody speak for themselves. So I went to their financial statements and, I, 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 and their financial filings, the 10Ks, the annual reports, and I just reprinted what they said. And they said they are specifically targeting the middle class because those are the ones who have the jobs, who can you know, go out and earn money and basically give that wealth over to Wall Street, and that this is a, a golden opportunity for this new asset class. And so really, the implications of you owning nothing in terms of not being able to own a house, which, by the way, is also influenced not just by this policy, but by uh, additional government regulations at the federal, state, and local level, uh, the disruption of labor in, in the labor market means that you don't that you're not able to generate this wealth it also has social credit implications as you know we talk about um you know on this program i talk about in you own nothing you reference in dark future think about if you don't own your home and now you have to rent that from one of these corporations which by the way happens to be backed by all of the you know big financial companies that are pushing things like esg and whatnot you know, what happens if you say something that they don't like on social media? Do you then mm -hmm. lose access to your home just like you've lost access perhaps to the Twitter platform or to, you know, some other social media platform or to, you know, one of these online payment systems? It really puts much more at risk for your future. 
Uh, and that's happening already. I mean, you try to get my kids into certain schools uh, just because you're white. Try to get your kid in a certain school. We're already doing this. Uh, we're just not doing it system, uh, systemically throughout uh, organized throughout uh, all of society. But that is coming. They're also the IRS is also going after your inheritance. And this is really so nefarious. I have spent my life making money and the money that I, I want to keep to pass on to my kids. I'm doing it through my ranch. And we have been building and taking care of this property. And really, I mean, we're really, really look at this land as sacred and my kids i have to put enough money away so my kids will be able to pay the taxes on the land etc etc because you don't honestly ever own anything they can take it from you at any time but when i die if i haven't you know done the you know the legal loopholes with all the attorneys and and only the rich can really do things like this my kids will lose the where they will have to sell the ranch for the taxes and that's obscene and what happens is when they take it for the taxes the government takes all of the money for the taxes and then they sell the farm to probably some corporate entity to get it out of the hands again of you know the average person there this is this is stripping the american dream and just putting it into the water like chum it's true and there's another thing that i talk about i have a chapter on the, the upcoming wealth heist that relates to this so you talk about you know your farm is being you know, something that you want to your ranch is something you want to be uh, passing down there is an estimated 84.4 trillion dollars in wealth that is set to turn over via inheritances in the next 23 years. It's a staggering right. amount of money, and that's not from billionaires. That is from you know m mostly from from middle class Americans that have worked hard and, and put away something. And so, what what are we hearing out there? We're hearing things like, oh, Janet Yellen, she wants to to go after unrealized capital gains, which are these weasel words that basically say we're going to tell you what your stuff is worth on paper. You haven't realize the income from it, but we're going to tax you on that. So think about the implications. Your parents bought a house in 1970, and then all of a sudden, one day they wake up and, and someone looks on Zillow and decides that it's worth $2 million, and now your parents owe taxes on $1.9 million. I mean, where, where are they getting That's that? crazy. Right? They're not. They're, of course they're not going to do that. So what are they trying to do here? They're trying to trick people and say, no, we just want this for the billionaires and the ultra-wealthy because it's not fair. But that's not the bulk of that $84.4 trillion that's set to pass down. So they're trying to get wealth taxes and they're trying to get inheritance taxes increased with the carrot that they're going after the ultra-wealthy so that you seed the principle. They want you to say there are no property rights. 
rights, and this is okay to do. And the second you do that, that means that it's not just for the billionaires, it's for you. And there's so much wealth that, by the way, we've, you know, we've got $32 trillion plus and growing in national debt. We also have more than $129 trillion in unfunded liabilities and promises that, of course, they're not going to walk back. So wouldn't that $84.4 trillion of your wealth go a long way to helping them maintain their power and control? So one of the things I did in the book is I got an estate planning attorney. (laughs) And Chapter 11, we have all of these ways that you can fight back. And one of the things he says is you have to go to an estate planner and you have to do like you did, Glenn, and get a trust put in place. Uh, It sounds like it's just for the wealthy, but you can do it even if you're the average American right on Main Street. We can't guarantee that there will be a grandfathering, but... The reality is we know that the wealthiest people are going to be protected. So you need to start doing the things that they're doing to make sure that yes. when they come in and they change the rules, you're protected. Yes, exactly right. And it's, you know, it's not cheap to put a trust uh, together, but it is also not it's not something to just for the wealthy. And uh, I, I'm telling you, they're going to come. They're going to come for all that you have every way they have. And uh, you're exactly right. You've got to start doing what the wealthy are doing. And thank you for doing all the work. I, I, I want to have you back maybe next week and talk about something else you talk about in the book, which is uh, the water rights that are being bought up mm. uh, by the elites, including places like Harvard, uh, <laughs> buying up all kinds of water rights. We'll talk about that next week. The name of the book is You Will Own Nothing. It is a great book by Carol Roth. Uh, she's a former investment banker that is, you know, she sobered up and she started caring about, you know, Main Street. Um, and, uh, and she wrote the book You Will Own Nothing, which is a great companion book to Dark Future. Carol Roth, thank you so much. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Kimberly. Glenn, it is great to be here. <laughs> it's great to have it's you so on. Great now, to talk to you. Thank you. Um, you wrote uh, the book on the Biden malaise uh, and you have a happy ending to it. But your your contention is Joe Biden is worse than Jimmy Carter ever was. I think at this point, that's pretty obvious to even maybe Democrats. Do you agree with that? Well, I don't, I mean, they won't admit it, obviously, but it should be, obviously, it should be obvious to everyone, especially looking at his dismal poll numbers um, and the state of the economy. And, And by the way, there were Democrats that warned him not to take the steps he took. So they understood what would come from it, the inflation, the high gas prices, and he did it anyway. Um, is anybody do would you say that's different this time around? It seems like every all the Democrats are on board with everything he's doing. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, the reason this has all happened is because Joe Biden is not a leader and he's not willing to stand up to the crazies in his party. If you look back over his long history, he's always just been a vessel wherever the party power was at the moment. That's what he reflected. And if he'd have stood up, if he'd have actually taken the advice of sane economists, et cetera, uh, we wouldn't be in the situation we are right now. Um, but he was never going to push back. That's another big difference between him and Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter had a very rollicking, sprawling party, and a lot of them didn't like him because he actually got in fights with them. Right. So um, Carter, I never 
I, I mean, I never had the feeling that he was intentionally trying to dismantle America. I just thought he was a mess. Um, can you compare their philosophies? Uh, I mean, Biden is surrounded by all kinds of uh, anti-American or anti-capitalist uh, kind of, of people. Was it the same with Carter? You just put your finger on the word that matters here and, and what really separates these two presidents, Glenn, and that is intent. Um, you, you know, if you go back and you look at Jimmy Carter, first of all, he was dealt a far har- harder hand than Biden was. I mean, we were already in the middle of global inflation. Uh, there had already been an oil shock. We were in the middle of a very aggressive Cold War. And, and to the extent that he desperately mismanaged all of this, he was at least trying to make things better, right? He was trying to actually help unemployment. That was the reason he took a lot of the steps he did. They didn't work. He had the wrong advice. Uh, he was still enthralled to Keynesian economics, but, but, but he had the best interests of the country at heart. You know, Joe Biden took what should have been an amazing economy, just co- turning the corner from COVID, um, a, an amazing energy sector, which we had just become a net exporter of oil, um, and in a fervor to turn us into European-style socialism, use COVID as an excuse to spend $6 trillion um, to attack fossil fuels in a climate agenda and manage to spiral up inflation, to massively increase the size of government, and to make it impossible for people to fill their cars up with gas um, or to pay their heating bills. And, and so it's intent. His goal is to transform the country. We all know that the methods that he's chosen lead to rack and ruin, but he doesn't care. So let me let me switch to what you talk about towards the end of your book, and that is Reagan. Reagan comes around, and he's not liked by the Republicans. Um, <laughs> no. they, they, he's an he's an outsider, um, but he is cheerful, and he reminds people who we really are. Do you see that candidate out there? Not yet. And that makes me very sad because I truly believe that we could potentially have another moment like the end of the Carter administration in which a country has seen up close and personal again what it's like to have failing economic policies. Uh, and one consequence of that in Carter's years was it was this incredible opening. And Ronald Reagan, with his ideas, which were very different, as you know, from Rockefeller Republicans, uh, and with his yeah. very cheery message, uh, was able to not just change an election, but change electoral politics in this country for a generation. You know, the whole Reagan Democrat movement, which, by the way, those people are now the Republican base. Um, but I look out at the mm. field now. I think what we have is a lot of people who are all trying to show they've got fight, right, to show that they, they can throw a punch as, just as much as Donald Trump can. Um, and, but we're not hearing as much about their vision. And we certainly aren't seeing enough people smile, for God's sake. Like, just smile and have an optimistic vision for the future. Right. Um, and, and everyone's well, just instead. But it's, yeah. Isn't it really hard to have an optimistic future when you know how deep, unlike Carter, you know, the Republican or the Democratic Party back then didn't seem to hate and be against the country. Um, you have almost every institution corrupted and falling further and further away from defending our Constitution and our way of life. 
I mean, it's kind of hard to have an optimistic attitude because it's a real it's the biggest fight, perhaps, of our entire country's history, don't you think? Oh, I agree with you. It's very difficult. I think it was also uh, very hard back for in the time that Reagan was running. Not necessarily. I, I agree with you. The Democratic Party was a different beast. But the depths of the kind of uh, the tearing apart, the, the country was very divided back then. It had been through a lot of traumas, Vietnam, Watergate. I mean, people were so demoralized. So it, it was very hard to, to do it then, too. I think what has to be done is someone's got to remind, this doesn't mean you could be optimistic and still call out those failings, sure. right? Because sure. what what you got to do is you have to remind people uh, in, a, in again, in a way that shows leadership, uh, just how off the rails that party has gone um, and show that you can actually accomplish stuff and have a vision and have an optimistic without resorting to their tactics. Um, and I think a lot of people would gravitate to that. So I agree with you 100 percent. Your book is kind of more of a, a guide than anything else to show us what we what we really need to do. Um, and it is. It's the greatest opportunity right now to reset America and put her principles. You know, it's, it's, I, I would say, have we tried unplugging it and plugging it back in? We need to restore its original principles, its factory settings. Um, but there doesn't seem to be, uh, except for the people, it doesn't seem to be anybody really willing, as far as parties go, the Democrats are way off the rails. The Republicans are kind of like they were under Reagan, where I'm not sure that they're all that helpful to somebody who believes in the Constitution. I, I agree with you. Um, and especially, here, here's the, the positive thing, Glenn. I truly believe that while the parties and the party leadership are at each other's throat, I think most Americans fundamentally agree with those constitutional principles that you just Correct. outlined, or at least are open to hearing about how we need to return to that. One of the problems I see in the Republican field at the moment is that there's very much a, a kind of you versus us mentality, uh, even among the candidates, basically saying, you know, if you if you think this, then you are, you know, morally reprehensible. Correct. Um, and and Correct. and that and taking it to extreme levels, not seeming to understand that a lot of Americans do have very nuanced views on abortion or other cultural mm-hmm. issues. You know, that's why they're hot buttons. Um, one of the great things about Reagan is he didn't do a you versus us thing. He he spoke to everyone as Americans and said he'd lead everyone as Americans, and that's what convinced people to switch parties and come in. Well, he did take a you versus uh, us in one way. It was us against the government. He said government was sure. the problem. I'm going to get them out of your, your hair. Uh, right. And that's the same kind of message that would win today. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I know that the party is having a you know long, involved debate about how it needs to transform itself. But, you know, sometimes like if it, like if you got a wheel and it turns like and it's not broken, like there is a formula right. for that. Um, people don't like government. 
And and you just hit on something. We need to have a leader that figures out the things that unite us. And guess what? Most people don't like government. I mean, even people who, you know, are sat by while it got bigger, uh, their interaction with it is not great. Uh, You know, uh, everyone understands that it's all one big version of the DMV. So uh, some themes like that, those things that unite us, uh, I think the way to go. I'm still waiting to see it, though. So. Kimberly Strassel is with us. She is the author of The Biden Malaise, uh, how Joe Biden is far worse than Jimmy Carter ever was, and the need for a new Reagan. So first of all, I guess, tell me what you think we should be looking for in these candidates, and then let's go through some of the candidates. Sure. And by the way, I wish I'd had you do this subtitle on my book, Glenn, because it's much better than the one that's actually there. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> what is the actual subtitle? I'm oh, sorry. No, no, it's, no. Uh... I don't. I, no, no. Yours is better. That's what I'm saying. Let's oh. not even say the other one. It's a mouthful. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Yours is much right. more direct. Um, uh, all right. So let's go. Who, who do you want to go first? <laughs> what are we looking for? Um, uh, well, I think the, the yeah. Tell us what we're looking for and then let's go through the candidates. Well, I think what I'm looking for, what I think the nation would benefit for is is uh, some of that old fashioned Reagan philosophy, which is limited government. Uh, right. Uh, fiscal responsibility um, and, you know, strong national defense on the grounds. I know there's a debate about this in the GOP at the moment, but my view is that when America's standing strong, there's less likelihood of conflict, and that actually allows us to dedicate more of our time and resources to our own problems here at home. I think I think that was very clear with Donald Trump. I mean, you know, I don't think Putin would have gone into uh, Ukraine with Donald Trump there. If you have somebody who is strong, the military is strong. And honestly, I've always said somebody with a twitchy eye where you're like, you yeah. know, I think he just might do that as long as the uh, the enemy of the United States is feeling that way. We're pretty safe. We're pretty safe. I Um, couldn't agree with you more. Yep. Okay. so when you look at the the candidates, I mean, there's a lot to a lot to go. But Donald Trump is the one that it's really at his point, uh, his to lose, I think. Um, What are your thoughts on Donald Trump? So I agree with you that it's his to lose. Um, Although, you know, it's it's really interesting. Um, I live in kind of a a town that's really was Trump country. Um, It's a very conservative area, kind of place where you would see like the double Trump flags on the back of the pickup truck waiting, you know. Right. I've been really surprised by how many people who voted for him twice have said that they would like to get a look at other people and that they're not sure this time. And I think you see that reflected a little bit in the polls, too, in that, you know, he's got a solid number, most like 35, 40 percent. Um, that's a little bit more than he had back in the, the, the 2016 primaries. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think what's going for him, though, is this crowded field, just as it was back in 2016. And, you know, there's clearly more voters who haven't yet decided on him yet, but they're all splitting the field. Um, You know, my one concern with Trump in terms of what we've been talking about is I don't think a that he is a, a natural communicator of a philosophy it's not his deal he likes the politics right much more than he likes the policy idea of this um and 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 he's certainly not your sunny guy you know (laughs) 
<laughs> right. It's funny you because can love him for in a lot some of reasons, but yeah, he's not. Yeah. Some, he, I think he used to be at times uh, a sunny guy before he got into politics. Um, but uh, yeah, not not necessarily uh, now, and and probably good reason. Uh, Ron DeSantis. So Ron DeSantis, in my mind, uh, he's got the ability to do all this, but I think his problem, and we're seeing it from from the reset. Of course, his campaign says it's not a reset, which confirms that it is a reset. Yeah, you know, I think what's happening there, and I've kind of heard this, he felt a lot more comfortable in Florida, knew what he was doing, felt comfortable making his own decisions. This campaign looks to have been very poll driven so far. Um, And I keep wanting to Mm. say, like, let Ron DeSantis be Ron DeSantis. Um, because if you look at that amazing re-election he won in Florida, I mean, sure, there were probably a number of base voters who liked what he did with Disney and liked what he did with the schools sure. and transgender stuff. But a lot of people just loved that he was competent when they had that storm, that the gas got delivered, that Big their time. taxes got lowered, yet that government got smaller, that you just had a leader who knew how to get stuff done. And I really wish we heard more of that from him. The, the other one I'd be interested in, in hearing uh, about is Vivek Ramaswamy. I think he is so fascinating. I think he's got a few, like, really out there ideas. Um, <laughs> but but on, the, on the upside, uh, it's because he has ideas. I mean, that guy is so sharp. Um, he is a font of policies. Um, when he's not sure what he's talking about, he goes and gets educated on it. He's obviously got yeah. an enormous amount of energy. And I think that he's actually getting a real look. I mean, people kind of just immediately wrote him off when he got into this. But that guy is out there and he is working like a dog. And I think he's making some gains. I think so, too. I, I think he could be a vice presidential uh, nominee, if, if not uh uh, presidential uh, nominee in the end. If he keeps going the way he's going, he is a, a very different and sunny kind of guy. He has the Reagan yep. sun to him, which I is really important. Say, yeah, that's the other thing is he does have a vision. And, you know, if you listen to him, he talks a lot about what it means to be American and how we need to be proud to be American. He talks a lot about those values you mentioned, Glenn. Um, and that's a little bit of what Reagan did. Obviously, he, he's a very different person, um, but uh, he, he's closer to that than I think a lot of the other candidates. I agree. Kimberly, great to talk to you. Thank you so much. The new book is The Biden Malaise. It came out uh, just a couple of days ago, The Biden Malaise by Kimberly Strassel. You can pick it up wherever you find your books. Da, da, da.